but uh, it, I don't think that helps the analysis. There's a lot of people caught in this sort of strange time warp that uh, if you remind them uh, that, that Walter Cronkite, the so-called most trusted man in America, was a hardcore leftist, and uh, how much more proof do you need when he called the Tet Offensive a loss when it was actually a victory? I mean, you can't get much more flagrant than that. No, and I think there was uh, none other than uh, historian Douglas Brinkley, his main biographer, who kind of let the cat out of the bag on that one. I mean, yeah. he was, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, back then, you know, 1960s and into the 70s and even 80s, you had the source of information with just three major networks. They all basically right. were the same. They were all left of center. And uh, the major newspapers, which were also mostly left of center, and you'd have some, you know, some competition. Like in Boston, you had the Boston Globe, and you also had the Herald, which was a little competition. but A little more conservative. Yeah, that's right. Just a, a slightly more. But um, for the most part, they controlled the high ground of the narrative. And now you had the internet, and there was all this hope that conservative opinion and alternative opinions would be heard. So it doesn't surprise me that they're moving in to crack down on that. And um, I remember early on in the development of the internet, this was like in 1999, 2000, Hillary Clinton, I think who was uh, first lady at the time, came out with some statements about need, the need to, um, to regulate the internet yeah. and to decide uh, you know, what, what should be going over it. And I remember at the time, everybody was, oh, no, that will never happen, you know. But, but I was thinking, you know, I, that, I think it probably ultimately will happen, given the, the, the level of power that these people have and the fact that they, they will not allow for a genuine free expression of ideas. And so that's where we are now. And the new administration is obviously completely on board with it. Um, Biden, even I didn't hear the inaugural speech. Did you hear it? No, I couldn't quite bring myself to. Well, I, I caught some of it. And the little part that I heard, he already said right out there that we're going to go after, quote unquote, domestic terrorists. And yeah, well, there you supremacists. go. You know, and, and so, yeah, there it is. This is what we're looking at. And, you know, this is, uh, you know, they're the using the, uh, the capital incursion as, as the American version of the Reichstag fire. As I've well, said. how much of this domestic terrorist thing is going to be uh, uh, sort of false flag? Uh, I mean, oh, I think they, most of it is. I mean, uh, I they, mean are they going, are they going to do this this typical uh, situation where you'd have a local Ku Klux Klan group where eighty percent of the members were actually FBI undercover agents, exactly, and and uh, to stir up some uh, controversy and so on. Uh, oh, totally. I mean, I think I would argue that that is probably what the whole capital thing was. And I think that as there is investigation, that's trickling out. And, and yet they use that as an excuse not only to impeach President Trump, but they're going to continue. That's going to be that's like a gift. I mean, they're going to continue to bang that over our heads. And, you know, I mean, it's sort of like uh, what what. Uh, Ram Emanuel said on uh, the on the Sunday talk show right after Obama became president, "You cannot let a good crisis go to waste." Right, and that's what this is. That's what we're looking at. The Reichstag fire in Germany took place a few weeks after the Nazis were elected, 
And Hitler used that as an excuse to suspend the German constitution. Now, I don't think we're going to go that far in the literal sense, but in the de facto sense, they very well may. You know, this is going to be, they have an enemy. They've claimed who that is. And they're going to, uh, if, they, if they don't f- pull someone out from under a rock somewhere as proof, they'll make it up. Yeah, well, uh, how far do you think it's going to go? I mean, at, at what point, if any, are, are people going to wake up? I mean, how much of this crap? Well, no, I actually think that I'm somewhat optimistic about this, as I mentioned. I mean, I think that, you know, Biden knows that the country is at least divided, if not that he lost. And I think he knows it. And so don't the people in power because they're the ones who pulled this off. And because of that, and because of the upcoming midterms, I think they want to succeed. And they know that in order to succeed, they're going to have to leave in place President Trump's policies because they are successful and that they're not going to be able to go with too big a stick at, at, uh, at people. Well, won't this cause a revolt by the uh, more left-wing aspects of the Democratic Party? Well, I think they're going to probably throw them a few bouquets. You know, they're going to kind of do a few cosmetic things. It's kind of the way, in a way, some of the socialists worked in Western Europe, like Mitterrand or, or um, you know, or um, you know, some of those people. They were, you know, on the paper, they were socialists and they might genuflect a little bit for them and do a few things. But for the most part, they kept the country moving as a capitalist country. And they kept, you know, they were conservative in terms of their actual governing. And I think that uh, at least for the first two years, maybe I'm being optimistic, but I think that Biden will do that because they want to succeed and they want to see that their gains uh, become stronger. And if and when that happens, then all hell breaks loose. <laughs> I mean, in two years from now, if they win. Well, I mean, the other the other argument though is is that you have some real fire breathers uh, who may start an impeachment movement within their own party. Because now impeachment is done at the drop of the hat. Oh yeah, oh no, it's become like a strictly a political football now. Um, you know, they can impeach. Uh, in fact, there's already mm-hmm. a Congresswoman from Georgia, her name escapes mm-hmm. me right now, Republican, who's gonna be filing an article of impeachment against Biden tomorrow. Yeah. You know, for the, uh, you know, for the Burisma oil, the withholding aid, until you know, son of a bitch, they let they fired him. You know, he did this on tape. I mean, he did on tape at a speech at the Council on Foreign Relations exactly what they falsely accused Trump of doing in Ukraine. And uh, you know, I don't know if that's going to go anywhere. But if it if it's filed and if it's if it leads to any kind of an investigation, I think that could be very serious. So yeah, I mean, they they're gonna it's going to be constant impeachments. You know, it's just that's what that's what uh, what they have. Those are the seeds they sowed, and that's what they're going to reap. Well, isn't it isn't it sad that the entire system uh, was based on goodwill to some extent? Sure. And now it's being undermined, just like sort of anything else. I mean, the the idea behind uh, uh, contract law is that if you have a contract with someone, it's fundamentally based on the goodwill between the parties. Obviously, if something goes wrong, you'll litigate it. But the idea is that, that at least fundamentally, you were supposed to start off on some positive note. But 
on the other hand, if, if you go into it knowing that you're going to screw the other guy, then that, that really undermines the, the whole basis, uh, going back to the impeachment thing, of constitutional government. You know, if you if you're going to constantly pull, no, our entire system is based on on goodwill. I mean, our entire currency, our economic system, the value of the dollar is based on the on the trust of the American people in the American country in, in our yeah. country. You know, the good faith and credit, as they say, yeah, of the American dollar. It's totally, it's very psychological. I mean, there's nothing real. It's not even backed by gold or any tangible assets. It's all based upon the good faith and credit of the American people and their faith in their government. That's the only reason why the dollar functions. And that's, as you say, that's why contracts function. There is a suspension of, you know, certain, each side compromises, they come up with an agreement and they move forward based on good faith. So, so taking the contract as an example. Yeah. What would happen to contract law if you decided to sue at the drop of a hat for every Every little thing. If your payment terms, oh, that's what they did days, for four years, and that's yeah, exactly. It's a great point. If your payment terms were thirty days, and the guy paid you in thirty-one days, and you decided I'm going to sue him, and it's, I mean, think what this could mean. Uh, it it's it's a great insight. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's it's, what it's, it's very disturbing. And that's what they did to Trump. Every little turn, every little comment, every little nod. I mean, I, I can relate to it. Look, when I ran for, for office myself in 2004 for Congress, I remember going to an editorial board meeting at a newspaper in my district that was completely hostile to me, waiting to get something on me. And I was there with my campaign manager and you just sat there. I mean, I, you know, even to like make a, a small sound, you know, like if you, if you, if you made a little grunt you know, they would be there recording it. And it was every single question. It's like, I'd have to whisper. We'd have to have a little conference, you know, okay. And then we come back. To, I mean, it was that, that brutal. It was absolutely no trust in the room at all. They were out to get me and they were open about it. And, and that's, you know, that's the atmosphere that Trump existed in for four years. Okay. But what, what motivated that? I mean, obviously they they were for Barney Frank, but is that all they had against you? Is you were the they other want, Yeah, they wanted to make sure that Barney Frank was reelected, and they just wanted to completely not take any chances and wipe me out as somebody who would dare to uh, to challenge him. You know, I had people even say that to me. I remember I was out gathering signatures, and the, this guy says, "Well, I don't agree with you," and I said, "Well, fine." You know, do you, don't you want to see a, a, an election where you have two sides on a ballot and there's a debate? And he says, no, I don't. I don't want anyone to oppose Barney Frank. I don't want you on the ballot. I'm going to work to make sure you don't get on the ballot. What was the appeal of, of Barney Frank? Well, he was kind of a cult figure. You know, he was a, a hero of the left. I think the fact that he was openly gay was something that enhanced his cult appeal the my excuse me my election would happen to be the year that massachusetts declared gay marriage legal and even though that wasn't a federal issue and i kept pointing that out to people that's all people wanted to talk about what was my position on gay marriage it was no other issue and he was seen as the 
kind of the the vanguard of that movement. So, you know, you know plus he, he had, you know, he was a cult personality. The Boston Globe had built him up just like they had built up Michael Dukakis. Yeah. Like that's, that's how the left plays. They build these people up as these with hero worship. They keep writing about how brilliant they are. They're so brilliant, 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 brilliant. And people, you know, it, and they control the high ground of our culture and our media. So they are able to do that. So, and so they do not want someone to come along and, and ask any hard questions or challenge him. So they had to demonize me and did. But anyway, and that wasn't too difficult. <laughs> but you're better for the experience now. Uh, yeah, I you're mean, a hardened warrior. <laughs> they looked at everything I'd ever written, and some of the things I had written were not necessarily, you know, things that I necessarily agreed with at the time. And that's politics, you know. It's a hard. It's a. It's not beanbag, as they say. It's a tough game. <laughs> so okay, but but. Besides waiting for 2022, uh, what should the good guys do now? Uh, well, I mean, we have to, I think we have to continue to come up and out and, and expose the voter fraud and not give up on that. We have to call for a national ID. Um, you know, we should note that in October, uh, the you know, Pelosi's Congress recommended a $1.5 trillion stimulus package allegedly to help people, businesses deal with the COVID-19 crisis, even though there was very little in there for that. But one of the items in that package was, I think it was at least like $10 billion for election reform. Now, what does that mean? I mean, it's payoffs to their friends, helping them steal elections. But putting that aside, if they can put us put up that kind of money or advocate that kind of money to help reform our election system, then they could put up a fraction of that to ensure that every American can get access to a free and easy uh, ID card to show that they are who they are when they vote. And, uh, you know, I talked about this in the first hour with Donald Jeffries, and I'm going to reiterate it now. The reason why they didn't get a national ID card or even, you know, run by the states for voter ID was because there was this phony turf you know, group had funded by George Soros called the, the Brennan Institute. You know, it was made up of, of left-wing lawyers who dressed very conservatively and they put on gray suits and they, they spoke in home. And it was completely phony. And they came up with a paper illustrating with very phony, you know, research that to have voter ID meant you were racist. It is something against- oh, of course. And it was completely false, and yet they were able to pull it off, and it became a mantra. And it's actually a very racist mantra. What are they saying that a black person can't get, a, you know, a voter ID? I mean, you know, everyone can get ID. You know, you can get ID to buy groceries. You have to have an ID to buy booze. You have to have ID to buy a lottery ticket. You know, we all need ID to get through, you know, any kind of well, most transactions. You know, you often need to have in the course of life, an ID. And that includes everyone. So the idea that a, a black person can't get an ID is false and ridiculous. And uh, I would suggest that to further show the lie of that, the ID should be free. You know, there very well may have been some states that were charging a lot of money for it, I don't know. But 
It should be free and it should be easy to get. And so between that and getting rid of the electronic machines and ensuring that the vote, you know, th that the state's legislators reassume and assert their, their constitutional prerogative to make voter laws, which was completely subverted under the guise of the COVID-19 virus by the uh, so-called swing states, where you had governors and, and judges and even bureaucrats making up laws right before the election and even after the election all to favor Biden and to weaken ID. You have legislators making the laws. You have, when the vote is counted, people at the table on both sides. You have the media there. Everything is done out in the open. Everything is observed. You have the states purging their voter lists of people who either had passed away or who were no longer in the state. We know that in Nevada, there was a lot of corruption around that. And I think in Arizona too, where you had you know, people voting from the grave. People like to make a joke about that, but that is an issue. It doesn't take brain surgery to have a team of people in a state double checking the voter rolls. It's not that difficult, they exist. You just call someone up. You have some kind of a means to confirm that this registered person is the same person that's on the voter rolls. This isn't, you know, in, in Georgia, for example, there were two counties that wanted to do this. They wanted to get rid of all the names on their voter lists who, uh, who were either had passed away or who left the state. And, and they were prevented from doing so by a federal judge who happens to be Stacey Abrams' sister. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, this is corrupt. You have to have, I mean, these are basics. So we can then get back to an idea that was very championed back in the 1960s by the civil rights movement and was supposed to be enhanced by the Voting Rights Act of 1965, which was signed by Lyndon Johnson. And that is to adhere to and enhance the principle of one man, one vote and not anything else. I mean, so we have to get back to that. So that's the big cause. I think one of the big causes that I'm gonna be focusing on this year. I think that's a good idea, but, but the, the, the trouble is that there's such a corrupt infrastructure. And I think it's at the end of the day, uh, based primarily on not having term limits. I mean, look at what happened to Mitch McConnell, for God's sake, who's now a proponent of impeachment. Uh, there are very few guys left standing who are still pro-Trump because they're going along with the establishment. And the, the whole notion that this all disappears, uh, maybe not amongst the 75 million people who voted for Trump, but certainly within establishment government is just appalling to me that you could name Jim Jordan and Marjorie Green and a few other people, but everybody else has folded. And it's so disheartening. There's newspaper columnists that have folded, that were pro-Trump, but now I guess they realize what's- uh, They still want to keep, keep a job. They want to be, they want to get invited to the uh, talkies, you know, they, everybody, yeah. everybody jumped ship. You know, toward the end, because they 
they want to have a future. It, it is disgusting, but that, that's what's happened. And as far as term limits, I don't know. I'm, I'm of mixed mind on that. Um, I tend to lean toward it at this point. I didn't used to be. But I think you make the good point, uh, Mike, in that um, you know, when, you, when you're in, in office for, for that long and you keep perpetrating your, your, your position of staying in office, right. you become beholden to all these special interests and these lobbyists who keep you in office by giving you money so you can constantly be running again. And that maybe it would be, a, a, and by the way, they gave, the Congress gave itself incredible perks if you stay in office. If you, if you get to the magic number of serving three terms, right. you are vested for life. I mean, you've got you know, a full pension and you get full health benefits and full this, full that. You know, all the, it's like you're set for, for the rest of your life. That, you know, getting rid of that would be, you know, probably good because then you can have new people come up every every two years and you'd have people stepping down and, and giving someone else a chance. So, yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's probably a good development. You know, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, the, there are other things that maybe are not good with that because if someone stays in long enough, they can get influence that can help your state and your district. There's nothing wrong with that. So it's a complicated question. Right, but I think that's the exception rather than the rule. Uh, and I've known specific members, I may have mentioned this, that finally quit in disgust after a couple of terms. Uh, Scott Riggle of uh, Virginia, uh, southern part of Virginia. I worked with him on Chinese drywall. Mm -hmm. And um, he just got so tired of the BS that he just didn't didn't run the uh, I believe it was the third or the fourth time and it, he felt it was just better to, to go back into the private sector and you know you have to ask the question you look at the so-called good guys like Jim Jim Jordan what's the motivation to be surrounded by a brood of vipers is it just so you can uh, somehow egotistically say you're the good guy. Uh, would you want to be in a situation where 95% of the people were trash, but you could go home every night and tell your wife, I'm the good guy in that group? Um, I, yeah, I, I think there's I, a, lot, I really a lot to be said for like keeping the thing moving and bringing in regular people. And, um, you know, it, it kind of would probably reduce the power of the lobbyists because, you know, they, you know, it would, in a sense, you know, you'd have people who actually, if there was more of a turnover, you would have people who didn't necessarily have a big name. Yeah. Now, you know, one of the things I've tried to encourage people to do also, and I will continue to in these times, because one of the lessons we learned from this is that a state legislators have a lot more power than they think they have. They are the elected body of the people. That is where law is supposed to be made, <clears throat> not by governors, not by judges, not by bureaucrats, not by unelected officials, which has been the trend since Wilson. And that I would urge people listening to this program to run for the local state rep or Senate office. You may find that whoever's holding that office has been there for decades and never had any opposition you know, it's time to get in there. And, and in these districts are small enough. I mean, usually a state rep district is maybe one or two towns. Yeah. 
And you don't have to have a lot of money to do it. You don't have to get a lot of signatures to get on the ballot. It's usually maybe 100 signatures. And you can win by going door to door. You don't need, and you can win by using free media like, like uh, cable television in your community and, and Facebook and all these social networks. And you can start to go out and meet people. You know, this is something that I've urged if you're a housewife, if you're an empty nester, your kids are off to college and you have some time, you're retired, you know, if you have any extra time, if you're a teenager, you can do it and you can win. And even if you don't win, you're going to get interviewed by the local press and you're going to be able to talk about a couple of issues that you care about and you're going to bring them up in a way that could make a big difference. I mean, look, I, I did this myself. So, I mean, I'm speaking for experience and I'll point to the great book written by Tip O'Neill of Massachusetts. He, um, you know, all politics is local. And he talked about how in the 1950s, he ran for Congress in, in Somerville and Cambridge. He was not well known. He was opposed by the Kennedys who had all the political power in the state. You know, they didn't like him. Uh, you know, and we all love and hate the Kennedys in Massachusetts, but they, you know, they had a they, the back then they had a powerful machine. I mean, yeah. John Kennedy was senator. And, um, and he did it by going door to door. And it took him about a year. But he actually, every day, he would put time aside and he would knock on doors in each and every neighborhood in that district. And by the way, he was not a man of great health either. He was very overweight, you know, but he was able to do it and he won. And that's how you do it. It can be done by anyone on a shoestring. You don't need a lot of money. These are small towns. Okay, but are you conflating uh, the local congressional district with the uh, local, uh, I don't know what you call it in Massachusetts, the equivalent of our House of Delegates uh, in, in Virginia? Yeah, and, the House of Delegates, the House of Burgesses, I think don't they call that in Virginia. Uh, no, that uh, would Patrick Henry, but but uh, okay. No, now now it's uh, House of Delegates. The House exactly. of Delegates, exactly. The state legislature. Every and, and you're has... you're exactly right because the guy that represents my area has been in for something like 210 years. Michael, and... why don't you run? Why don't I run? Yes. Why don't you run for state rep in your district? Run against him. You could do uh, it. The, the district is overwhelmingly Democrat. Doesn't us. matter. You can, it, it doesn't, it really, anybody can do it. Even if you don't win, you will be interviewed by the press. You should, you know, look, look let's talk about this because I could use you as a template for anyone who's listening. All right. You form up, you, you simply file with your local Republican party or you can go as an independent. Yeah. You, uh, and then you get a status where you can start to raise funds you don't have to do a lot. It doesn't take, we're not talking about a lot of money here. We're talking about, I mean, the average, I think the average state rep, state Senate run, it, it might cost maybe at most $20,000. Yeah. You, you basically bring in a media person maybe to help and you start to go door to door. You start to send out press releases, which you could write yourself. You go to the cable station. You, you, if, if you, you know, if you can't get on someone else's show, you simply sign a one-page document requesting your own show. You go on cable. You host the show once a week where you talk about issues, maybe interview people. That'll give you some recognition because they run that show. By the way, cable is one of the great secrets 
of um, political life, because, and I did it, by the way, and it, and it was very effective, in that you do once a week, you do like a half hour or an hour show, and they keep rerunning it all week because they need content. Yeah. So by the after maybe a month or two of that, everyone in that town is going to know who you are because everyone will have seen it. And um, you set up a Facebook page, you know, a Twitter account, all that. Right, but, but I mean, in, in, in your case, you ran for federal office. Right. Presumably because you felt that there were bigger issues. Right. I, I was interested in national issues. That, yeah. And then worrying about what streets are going to be paved in Brookline. Right. That's uh, right. Whatever. That's right. But look, I mean, you have to start somewhere. There yeah. are state issues that that are interesting. I mean, I think Virginia, yeah. don't they have, I mean, in Massachusetts, they just passed an, a, a law that enhances abortion to the point where the, you know, they, they're talking about the after the birth. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, why Massachusetts needed a new abortion law at this time? All of a sudden, there's this urgency to, I mean, you know, we've had legal abortion in Massachusetts since, since Roe versus Wade. I mean, it's not like suddenly, the point is that that could be an issue. You know, there are other issues. Oh, in, in fact, Virginia is uh, going much more liberal uh, with the gun laws. You, could, you know, even if they're liberals, you could ask people, go door to door and say, look, you know, is this something you actually believe in? You'll find that liberals, you know, your average person may not. They may take a second look. You know, you've got a hardcore liberal, but they can people can be influenced. And even if you don't win, you're going to get interviewed by the local press and you're going to be able to discuss these issues and it will make a difference. People will think about it. It'll bring a shine of light. In the case of the local district here, you could have a big argument. This guy's been in office for 100 years. Absolutely. Absolutely. You take a look at his record. Do an analysis. You could go do some research at the state. Look at how his voting record looks. I did it with Bonnie Frank. Of course, after I did it, you know, it's interesting. The co Congress made it more difficult to look at people's records. I don't think it was because of yeah, me, yeah. but there's a couple of people that did this. But you can look at his record and find some real whoppers in there in terms of stuff he voted for or against. Bring that up. That's politics. But even if you, you know, you, you, you know, generally my advice to anyone listening who's thinking of doing this, you have one or two, maybe at most three issues. No more, keep it very simple and keep pounding away at those issues and keep going out and meeting people face to face, eyeball to eyeball and ask them what's on their minds. It's an incredible experience. Hmm. And you'll find that there'll be housewives who will be willing to host a little coffee party for you where you'll bring neighbors in and they'll you'll make a little speech, raise a little money, you know, build your organization. And, you know, it's, it's a great way to, thing to do if you have some time. It takes about a year. And, you know, it's, it is very winnable. It's something that, you know, it, you know if, you, if you're careful about how to go about it, you can do it. And you're not going to get likely you know the big guns to come down heavy on you because it's not a big race yeah these are local races you're not going to have you know the left wing come in and start to like do a deep investigation on you because they're not paying attention you know it's a local thing i mean look if if, if there's something you know a, a good idea i just should say this is that if you're nervous about something coming out about you whether it be in your business life or your personal life, 
then it's you know something that some people do is it's not a bad idea. You actually hire a private investigator to investigate yourself. Yeah. And find out if anything that you may not want to be known is out there. I mean, look, it's an ugly business and that's just the way it is. And then once you get a full report on yourself, then you can figure out whether or not it's worth it or if, if these are things that you can answer to or whatnot. But, you know, it's not a bad idea to know this. I mean, I kind of knew going in, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, whatever. I mean- Well, devil's advocate though, you never ran again. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, this is, that's, a big, that's a complicated question. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, I'm not prepared to even discuss. And then- Oh, right, right. I mean, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. No, but, but, but there were things that happened yeah. that were really unpleasant during that, that election to me personally and to me professionally that I don't- Well, this uh, is why, one reason why people may not want to do it. Yeah, but I, well, what I would say to that is that, you know, I took on a very big apple. I mean, I went to a national race. I had never had any experience. And I took on an icon, somebody who was revered nationally. So yeah. that's not what we're talking about here. I'm not suggesting people do that. I'm saying do a local race, <laughs> local state rep, state senate. But here's the point. Even, and and you're okay. not going to get that kind of attention. All right. Who's my local congressional guy? <clears throat> is Jerry Connolly. Okay. He's a lefty. He was with the Fairfax County Board of Supervisors before. But here again, maybe he doesn't have the charisma of Barney Frank, but the argument is, hey, you know, this, this guy has been in office. He's known. Uh, what are you going to, why should we get this guy out for you? So the in, incumbency uh, is often a big advantage. For these people, can be even, even if they don't have any charisma. And believe me, Connolly has no charisma. Has he had any serious opposition? No. Well, no, because I mean, you're in a district that's then you draw him in and you 95 percent Democrat. Fine, you draw him in. You ask for debate. You get the media to ask him to debate you. You know, you get him to talk to you publicly. You get him to respond to you publicly. And, and if he doesn't, then you just keep the pressure on by yeah. contacting people locally and building your base. And eventually he's going to have to pay attention. And once he does, then you have a real race. I mean, look, Barney Frank immediately paid attention to me. And we had, you know, and that put me on the path. I mean, yeah. that's, so, you know, you kind of bring him into like the, the, the arena of debate. And well, here's um, what happens yeah. in this district. Okay, the local Republican Party will put up some uh, it's always the same resume. Some business guy, preferably slightly ethnic, uh, who's been doing some local business for 20 years, and he's going to take this business acumen and bring it to Congress. Sure. And it's sort of the same template. The, but I think it might even be purposeful, is they don't want to find anybody with charisma. They want to find some dull, boring uh, guy something in their past. Yeah, they want a rubber stamp. They want yeah. to have somebody that's just going to be like a, a Manchurian candidate. I mean, that ah, is the typical. Ah. Look at Biden. I mean, you know, they, yeah. they want to have somebody that, you know, oftentimes, I mean, when you get to that level, you have someone who, frankly, can be blackmailed 
Yeah. There's skeletons in the closet and they, they were very ambitious and they did, they cut a few corners <laughs> to get where they are. Yeah. And, and thus they are controlled. That's why they hated Trump. Everything about Trump, including the ugly stuff was all out there, you know, and, and, and he didn't, he wasn't beholden to anybody. He didn't need any money. You know, he was rich. He didn't have to, you know, take, he wasn't trying to grab a few bucks on the side. You know, it's like, he wasn't able to, they weren't able to control him. So they couldn't, you know, they couldn't be managed. Um, but most of these people have something like that. Not so much on the local level. Again, we're talking local politics. You know, the, I don't know. Sometimes I think the only way you're going to break this is if you have a Trump-like character who runs as an independent and somehow builds his own organization. So now you're really giving the middle finger to both big parties. Yeah. And, well, and I mean, Trump did change politics. I mean, he did show. Just imagine what would happen if an independent won the presidency. Look, if, if I had known about Trump when I ran and if there was a Trump-like figure, I would have done things differently. Yeah. But I was locked into the way things were done of course. at that time. But the thing is that nowadays with Trump having changed the way things are and the way we communicate, you, you don't have to be constrained by, by these kind of niceties. You can go out and speak your mind and be blunt and, and uh, talk about issues that you care about. And it doesn't take much. You can win by on a shoestring. People have won elections with no money just because they went out, they brought up a few issues that people connected with. They said, you know, yeah, I agree with that. And then in the quiet secrecy of the voting booth, they vote for you. It was this guy, I don't remember his name, in North Carolina, uh, lieutenant governor, I think, who uh, ran a just, well, I mean, he was in the, the Republican Party, but he was some unknown guy. And he was up against quite a bit of opposition, and he won. Yeah, um, it happens so it all possible. the time. Look at look at look at Sandy uh, Cortez. She was a nobody, and she won against uh, one of the biggest Democrat incumbents. And she did this. Look, I don't like her politics, but she went out and she met people, and she worked the streets, and and had the little coffee clutches, and 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 built a built a base, and and didn't do. I don't think she had a lot of money behind her. She resonated yeah. because she connected with people on the far left and they, they went out and they voted. So, you know, that was people it, on the far left and that she had this ethnicity. Uh, right. She, oh, right. she played the race card, um, you know, whatever it is. I mean, you know, in your case, I mean, you, you know, you take a look at the conditions of your small district. What do people care about? You, know, you could do a little canvassing, you know, do some polling, find out, you know, what, what, what are some issues that, that people actually th are thinking about in your district? You know, do a little research, maybe do some meetings with people, you know, just uh, you know, do some studying and find out some, and then you, you distill a handful of issues, two or three, no more, and go for it. Yeah, in Northern Virginia, you have some unique problems because uh, this is the home of all the Beltway bandits. So there's a large number of people, uh, government employees, who are tied into the to the government. Yeah, uh, it turns out it's even more so in uh, across the river uh, in Maryland, Prince George's County. Sure, where some humongous percentage of those people work for the government, M much much higher than in Fairfield. Well, you're probably not going to reach those people, and yeah. you know, in a sense, when you do when you run, you have to kind of, while you don't want to alienate anyone. 
you have to kind of take a look at what is going to be your base yeah. and focus on them and not put a lot of energy into trying to convince, you know, government swamp rats to, to vote <laughs> for because they ain't going to do it. It's like, it's yeah. not, it's an exercise in futility. It's like I've, I told conservatives to not waste their time with the Jewish vote because they're not going to vote for you. You could be, you know, if you were Adolf Hitler and you were in the Democratic Party, the Jews would vote for you. You know, why waste your time? Um, and that's that's a real... Well, by the way, that's, that's how Henry Waxman stayed in office for 30-something years. Uh, the Republicans never put up a candidate against him. Yeah. And in, in fact, there was one case, I don't remember the name of the guy, who on his own was so tired of Waxman being the representative that he self-funded a campaign and he ended up getting 20-something percent of the vote just as some Johnny doorknob guy no one's ever heard of. Uh, so you'd think, well, wait a minute, if that guy had some money behind him, we may have done something. Um, but there you go. So I mean, people I, have weird ways of staying in office. I mean, there's a legendary uh, Francis Donovan of Massachusetts who stayed in office for 20 years, didn't do a damn thing. But he did it because every day he would take orders from his constituents for Jordan Marsh blueberry muffins. And he would go to the state house, <laughs> go to Jordan Marsh, he'd buy the blueberry muffins and bring them back and he would deliver them. And people loved him for that. I'm just, you know, it's like. How many muffins did he have to get? I, he'd, he'd probably different amounts every day, every, you know, he'd bring them, bring them regularly. I don't know the details, but I know that he did this. And he ingratiated himself with his district that way. So people have. So what, he just retired or died or something? Yeah, he just retired, after, I think after 20 years. I probably died in office. I don't know, this is in the, in the 60s. Jordan Marsh no longer exists. Although yeah. they say that there is a company that has the secret recipe for the muffins. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the point is that. Muffins. What? It was just muffins. Oh, they were great muffins. No, the blueberry muffins, they were, they were legendary. Better than the pewter pot? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was something about you it. You remember and, the pewter pot? Of course. And, and uh, yeah, and, um, well, the pewter pot was very, was very popular with, with Catholics after mass. They would mob into the pewter pot. Yeah. Um, what happened to that chain? <laughs> I remember when, when I was a student in Boston yeah. many, many years ago. Mug and Muffin was another one. They, yeah, all those, they were all gone. That, that's like a by, bygone era. Oh, man. <laughs> I remember that. I mean, I lived sure. in the North End. As, as you they know. used to fry the blue, they would take the blueberry muffins and they would fry them on yeah. the grill. It was yeah. really good with butter. I mean, it's, you know, you, probably everybody who had that regularly is dead now. I mean, it's not exactly healthy. But uh, no, but, but the, 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 the memory was, <laughs> I lived in the North End. That year, I remember, was the winter was very cold and severe. Yeah. And a couple of us guys would walk across uh, Beacon Hill, Boylston Street, and we'd be cold as can be, you know. We'd, then we'd get into the pewter pot, pewter pot. this hot coffee and that hot muffin. And boy, this was great. Oh, it was, it was, it was part of the culture. I think they're all yeah. gone now. Oh. It's all been replaced by Starbucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they charge you five bucks for like a, a basically a, a cup of sugar water. Well, I have to tell you a Starbucks story. This is, <laughs> this surprised even me, and I'm a world-class cynic, right? Uh, at my gym, in the same center, and of course, in Virginia, the gyms are open. 
Thank you very much. Um, Thanks for the government, right? Yeah. <clears throat> well, they didn't want a mass riot, so they sure. All right. So anyway, the typical thing would be you do your workout, go down to Starbucks, which is right there, and get whatever you get. And then for whatever reason, they closed that location. Boom. All right. Across the way is a Panera Bread. Mm -hmm. And uh, it turns out they have a better deal. They're not trying to do a commercial for them. No, not at all. I like but, Panera but, but But the better deal was for $9 a month, you have a coffee subscription unlimited. Wow. So, so do the math. You go to Starbucks, $2.50 each. Okay. So I thought, well, this is crazy. All the Starbucks people are going to go right over to Panera Bread, right? Sure. No. No, they didn't do it. No, they found another Starbucks. Uh, I know there's something about Starbucks. I don't know what they put in that stuff, but it's, it's, I mean, I like Starbucks. You yeah. Know? I mean, I stopped drinking the sugar drinks because, um, yeah. My daughter basically said, if you stop drinking those drinks, you're going to lose a lot of weight. And I did. Oh, so she was right. Because uh, if you have the, the sugar in the drink, it goes right. It, it, it completely turns into fat. At least if you have like a muffin, you're having food with the sugar. So it has to digest. But if you drink the sugar in a drink, it's total fattening. That's right. So she's By right the way, is your daughter ever going to be on the show? Never. Oh. <laughs> these are we're talking about very private people ah, okay. that, that in fact they, they don't want to have anything to do with it right. um anyway but um mike we should have you run for office it could be a great experiment uh yeah you know I, I, the stress may be too much i i don't know you'll love it you'll have a great time you, you know it's 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 exhilarating i mean i you know especially for a local office because it's not a lot of controversy you're not going to have anybody gunning for you. Not likely. You know, you'll just be there going a little under the radar, bringing up your issues, taking on the guy, you know, and, and, and you, and, you know, you might win and you could very well win. Well, I mean, be surprised. With you, I wonder if I have the energy at this point. Um, oh, you'll find, you'll find the whole experience to be very energizing. And, you know, if you win, then you can go to the state house and start to say, look, Let's reassert us our powers as a state legislature, and yeah. and start to uh, take back our ability to regulate things like elections, and and a lot of other stuff that's been usurped by the governor and by uh, you know judges and by everyone else. Well, certainly food for thought. Uh, Do it. Do it. I would I would try to find a clone of myself who's somewhat younger. No, you're, you're right, just the right age. You need just something. Well, I don't know about that. No, you, it's good to have a few gray hairs. You know, you, you should do How about white hairs? Fine. <laughs> that's, that's perfect. I remember this guy that was um, running locally. He was like in his 80s oh. and his opponent was a very, very young guy. He was like late 20s. And he, uh, I don't think he won, but he had a great time and he made a lot. Of, and they had funny jokes about the age difference. And I mean, it's fine, you know. I say go for it. Hey, maybe I'll think about it. Okay. Well, so we'll have to check until in. Until then. Until then, think about it. I'll check in with you next week to see what your thoughts are. I'm serious. Go for it. And I urge other people, this is how we're going to take back the Republic. You know, this is where you get, this is where the power is. 
Well, and you're, so you're making the a state good point. legislative level. And by the way, Republicans have taken back at least yeah. two state houses. I mean, the, the only point that you're making is that people have to stop complaining about it and trying to do something about exactly. it. Exactly. It's a civic duty. It really is. You know, we, we, we can have a, a purpose. You know, as Americans, we think that, you know, freedom grows on trees and that everything is fine. It doesn't. You have to exercise the levers of freedom. You have to get involved and, you know, otherwise they atrophy. You have to go out and actually use the apparatus that's well, we, there. We, otherwise, it's going to get very less. Anyways, Mike Shaw, what are you working on? What, what do you have up in terms of an article? All right. All right. You're going to love this. Uh, a survey just came out. I'm going to be writing about it. Uh, attitudes toward the vaccine. Okay. Uh, spoiler, spoiler, 47% of the people do not want to take the vaccine. 47%. That's very high. And uh, a lot of uh, reasons why uh, even 33% of those of us over 55, uh, no, there's been, frankly, a few too many side effects uh, that they've been kind of blowing off. And um, it's, uh, it's a troubled introduction. Mm. As I told my, my wife, the thing that bothered me the most was, because I was on this during the early stages, they were talking about three boosters, mm -hmm. giving it in four stages. Then they realized the logistics of that are going to be tough. So then they brought it to two. And I think what's happening is the dose is too strong. Okay. And that's why people are getting these reactions. And... Uh, there are some people dying from this thing. No, that's true. And um, we'll see. But but it it's amazing. Uh, I've never seen a vaccine with this kind of uh, public rejection before. So somebody did a very detailed study. I was able to get a hold of it. They just posted it today. And... Uh, I think they surveyed like six. Where did this poll take place, by the way, Mike? Um, it's, uh, do I still have it up here? Let's see. Um, you know what? I took it off my main browser to clear okay. the way, but, but they, uh, uh, it's a nationally recognized outfit. Okay. That, uh, you know, they went into the ethnic side of it, the, all kinds of demographics. Yep. It, uh, it is interesting. No, that's that. We'll have to keep an eye on it. I mean, it's yeah. uh, it's all being rolled out. I know that certainly the media is touting it as being this great thing, and they keep showing constantly people getting the shot. That's you know, like every day we see it. Yeah. So, you know, it's it, it that, which makes you suspicious, quite honestly. But anyway, all right, Michael. All right, Schultz, so listen, I want to thank next you. Next time we will uh, continue to see where we are. Do it again. <laughs> all right. Thanks a lot, Mike. Talk to you soon.